Right, let's bow our hearts. Father, we give you thanks. Lord, your word prevails. Therefore, we pray that you would give us understanding and entrance, O Lord God, of your word brings light. It brings illumination. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Therefore, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be well-pleasing in your sight, O God, our Redeemer, our Sanctifier, and the one who feeds us, our Shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please, you may have your seats. And uh, just to get you a little into the context of what we are going to speak, um, would you reorganize yourself and find your own wife? Husbands, please sit next to your wife. Your own wife. This is not a matchmaking opportunity. If your wife is not here with you, do not consider the one next to you as your wife. Uh, we do not want a separate counseling session after this. Please, uh, would you find your own wife? And the ushers could also sit down. It's, uh, it's going to be a message from First Peter about God's work at home. Now, for those who are visiting us, we do not do this every time. Uh, there are reasons why the husband and wives are sitting separate. Uh, you shouldn't think that we normally advocate that they keep themselves apart for a season and then come together so that Satan does not get you. It's not for that. For those who are visiting us, um, the husbands and wives, they travel together, they came together, and they usually sit together. Would you turn with me and invite you to open to First Peter, if you're sitting next to your own wife. You could hold the hand of your wife or husband, but then how would you take notes? Uh, the reason why you could hold hands is that when I say something to the wife, the husband could squeeze. He's speaking to you. And when I say something to the, or when the word says something to the husband, the wife could squeeze. You know what will happen if they are not sitting together? While driving back home, the husband would say, did you hear what he told you? And then, because she heard and does not want to acknowledge, he'll say, what did he say? And then he would preach what he wants. So we want to avoid all circumstances. First Peter chapter 3 and the first seven verses, and God will help us. With due reverence, let's become Presbyterians for just a day. I would invite you to stand up for reading the word. With reverence to God's word, as we read it from the pulpit, First Peter chapter 3, and I read the first seven verses. And it says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, 
so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in his sight. For in this way, in former times, the holy woman also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. And now, just thanking God for his word. Father, we give you thanks for these words. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things. For in Christ's name and for his sake we ask. Amen. Please, you may be seated. We thank God. Essentially, Peter is continuing his call for submission, which is quite evident over here. First Peter could be easily divided into three broad sections. The first section is how precious is our salvation. That would be chapter 1 and towards the middle of chapter 2. And then the second section in the middle of which we find ourselves is the obligation of righteous living. And in that we found the Christian's obligation in a society, at the workplace, and then now it comes into the home. Later on, God willing, we would look at how this comes into the church. That would take us till the end of chapter 3. And from chapter 4 onwards, we find the third section, which is the work of Christ creating hope in our hearts for his return. So, how a Christ relates to what he has, how a Christ relates to the outside world, and how Christ helps us to relate to his own coming, is what Peter is writing essentially in his first letter. Now this builds on the issue of submission that God has set. The overarching motive of Peter is to call Christians to live an exemplary life, a life that is an example unto them that are watching. Now it's uh, good and it's easy to live here. I mean, in this hall, you are your holiest best. But how does a Christian relate to, number one, his society, number two, his workplace, which we saw last time? 
and three to a home. Therefore, this section predominantly deals with a mixed marriage. A mixed marriage. Now, this does not indicate that the believer goes and gets married to an unbeliever. That would be typically against scripture. But this context calls for Peter inviting the wife to submit to a husband who is yet an unbeliever. How do I know? Let's read verse 2 again. It says, verse 1, towards the end, if, they, if some of them are disobedient to the word. That means that it is assumed that the marriage is a mixed marriage. Therefore, what I am going to speak right now is not on Christian marriage per se. It's going to be on how does the Christian husband behave? And how does the Christian wife behave? Now you must be thinking, let's get the keys and go out. It does not relate to me. I am not in a mixed marriage. But hold on. Irrespective of whether your wife is a believer or not, this applies. Irrespective of whether your husband is a believer or not, this applies. Now, Apostle Peter takes six verses for the wife and just one for the husband. Now, you sisters might be thinking it's not fair. But I didn't write it, I'm just delivering it. Alright, but let's understand the context in which this was written. At that point of time, the husband had complete authority over the woman. He had such powers in a Greek society that he could kill his wife and no one would ask a question. The Greek philosopher and scholar Cato, C-A-T-O, writes that the father has full authority over the daughter and when she grows up, as he marries her off, now the husband has full authority and in none of the cases can the wife or the daughter challenge the authority of the husband or the father. He has even the right to kill her, no questions asked. Now you know why Peter was laboring the point for a Christian wife, for a woman. Because she needed more grace. She needed... It was... This man was already a tyrant. Let's assume. And now she becomes a Christian and the first command that is given unto her is submit. Therefore, wouldn't that require a little bit more explanation? And now that's the reasoning I find behind Peter giving six verses and then winding it up with one verse for the husband. But that in no way means that the husband has got lesser of an authority over him. We'll come to that in a moment. But then... Before we look into what a woman should be doing, because the first section is about Christian wife. Now, the husbands could hold the hand of the wife, right? This is the part where it is. You, you come to first realize what Peter was not saying, okay? Peter was not saying, flee. He was not saying, abandon your husband. 
let him go. You have become a Christian, he is yet an unbeliever, flee. That in modern terms would be called divorce. And Peter is not telling them to divorce. Second thing he is not saying them is to preach. Peter did not tell the wife, preach. I mean push the gospel down the bugger's throat. Stick Bible verses under his beer can. Put Bible stickers on the shaving mirror. When he opens his lunchbox, let him find a tiny New Testament. I mean harass him in such a way that he would bow down and give his life away, if not to Christ. The third thing he is not saying is, take over the leadership. Take over the leadership. You see, you are under Christ now, and you have the truth, he is in error. You have the facts, he is in, in total darkness. Take over the leadership. Become the boss of the house. Wear the pants at home. Peter never said these three things, neither does God say, even in a mixed marriage. So what is being said over here, as I said earlier, does apply to you individually as a Christian wife, and later on as a Christian husband. Therefore my voice goes out even to the youngsters who would one day find themselves as a Christian wife or a Christian husband, and the same principle applies uniformly. Now that we have seen what Peter does not say, let's look at what Peter does say. And the first word out of his mouth is, likewise, in the same way. And obviously, likewise is a conjunction, a connector. And you ask the question, like what? Obviously, for what has gone previously. What, was, what has gone previously is the life of Christ. If you just turn your Bibles to chapter 2, and towards the end, it talks about Jesus. It talks about his submission. It talks about him not opening his mouth when he was accused, when he was reviled, when he was falsely blamed for all manner of good things that he did. He kept quiet. Likewise, you wives. You see the connection? So one of the things that a Christian wife should do right at the beginning of her marriage is trust God. Whether you're married to a believer, you're married to an unbeliever, irrespective of that, the first command or the first thing that is implied in scriptures over here is the word likewise. And likewise says you need to likewise Homoios in the Greek, in the same way. That means without diluting what you have heard. Homo means the same. Homoios, likewise, you wives. And the first foundational principle is submit. Now that's like a rag to a bull. Sorry for the metaphor, I'm not calling you sisters bulls. 
But that's like a red rag to a bull when in the modern society you are calling a woman to submit. I don't know what would be more bizarre if you would have your hair painted blue and walk into the supermarket or open your mouth among women and say, the Bible says, submit. I challenge you, the latter would be more bizarre to a watching world. Because they have accepted that the woman does not need to submit. And frankly, there are people in Christendom who have been counseled, don't submit. Of course, you know that that's not from the Bible, because clearly the Bible says, be submissive. Not a very popular command. But why is this fuss about submission? I mean, when you hear the word, be submit, why do you girls get irritated? That's the question. Number one, because the world says exactly the opposite. Don't submit. Rebel. You are no way inferior to him. Did the Bible say you are inferior? It just says, submit. Now this is the foundation where Peter is built. I want you to keep yourself in the picture. Why does the Bible call me to submit? It's because that's what the word says. And the second thing is the inaccurate understanding of scripture. So number one, the pagan influence, and pardon me for using the word pagan, that's exactly what is happening around us. When that is not a Christian environment, it's a pagan environment. So the pagan world tells, don't submit. And two, an inaccurate understanding of scripture says, don't submit. Those are the two reasons I find that women get irritated when first of all they hear the word submit. And then when there is a marriage counseling, the people would say, I know what you're going to say. You're going to open up to Ephesians 5 and you're going to say women submit. You're going to open up to First Peter 3 and say submit. I don't want to hear that stuff. But the Bible says submit. But before we look into what submission is, let's look into what authority is. Biblical authority. Now you boys, please pay attention. Number one, the purpose of this authority is to protect your wife. That's the purpose of your headship. That's the purpose why God has given you your headship. Where's your wife, sir? That's to ensure that you don't sleep. The purpose of authority is to protect them that come under this authority. That's what you boys need to do. I mean, spread your wings over your wife. Boaz spread his skirt, per se, over Ruth. That's what authority is. Number two, God never has commanded you boys to make her submit. He told the wife to submit. He never said, you boys, make her submit. Rub her nose on the Bible. I mean, make her read that. You... Authority is twofold. Number one, it's given unto you. Given, you see? It's a gift given to you to ensure there is protection. There's ensure there is orderliness. And number two, it is given to you 
so that you may receive it from your wife and not command it that that's what biblical authority is therefore what does christian submission we mean now this is uniformly used by peter in first peter chapter 2 verse 12 13 and and chapter 2 verse 18 submit hypotasso it's a military term a powerful word which means fall in line i don't know how many of you have seen an actual drill sergeant call out for the cadets i just went for ncc training one day just one day because i couldn't stand the drill sergeant he was screaming at the top of his voice and all the cadets were falling in line their shoes were shined he could brush his teeth looking at those shoes the uniforms were sparkling and crisp hypotasso fall in line maintain the order have you seen our cousins pray straight line absolutely have you seen them do the same thing over and over again precisely falling in line hypotasso wives hypotasso christian submission is to be understood in its in its intent and not primarily in its content we run for the content submit oh i am a slave i need to lick his shoes oh i am a slave absolutely not what is the intent the intent of that submission is orderliness imagine you have a hydra headed monster at home that's what a family would be if there are two heads correct how many of you want an extra head comb the hair here you wouldn't need that the objective is orderliness number 2 submission is not so much to the person as to the position submit to your husband oh he's a tyrant submit to the position you don't know what a wimpy husband mine is he doesn't know what to wear a black shoe or a blue shoe he doesn't know what goes with his jeans he doesn't know whether his t-shirt suits him he doesn't know how to comb his hair submit to him it's not to the person but to the position let me ask you a question what if the husband was invalid he had a spinal injury down on his back you are the breadwinner would you still submit to him you put food on the table you take care of the children he is invalid would you submit to him he's gone insane he is in the mental asylum would you submit to him the challenge is to submit to the position the intent and not the content as such three the attitude of submission is that it should be done willingly when the drill sergeant called out these guys would mess their pants up that's the kind of voice he had but then 
the Christian submission is done with joy. Because you want to do it. Because Christ did it. The gospel, the first lesson of the gospel is that he who knew no sin became sin for me. Alright? Four, attitude is critical. Attitude is critical. A mother was driving in her car. There was a young boy in the back seat. Little fellow, he was jumping up and down, jumping up and down. The mother said, sit down, sit down. It's getting really tired. Sit down. And then she pulled the car over. She called him and put the seat belts on him and said, now you sit down. And they, as they began driving, the little fellow said, I might think, I might seem like sitting, but inside I am standing. I mean, the disposition is not what is important. The attitude, that's critical. The source of many marital problems is when the wife tries to take control. For what? To fulfill her needs. And the man tries to keep control. For what? To fulfill his needs. But the Bible says, do not consider yourself bigger or better than your wife or the other. But each one should care not for his needs, but for the needs of the other. That's the source of marital problems. When each tries to satisfy his own need. You know what submission does? Submission kills pride. It takes guts to submit. To use a local term, it makes you a man to submit. But then don't read that too far. Right? Submission is not out of fear or torment. But it is out of love for the Lord. In all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. Even in your submissions, you submit as unto the Lord. Now here's the catch. Don't wait till your husband's behavior improves before you begin to submit. Let him begin to love me a little bit more. Let him begin to learn to put his socks away. Let him learn to hang his clothes on the hanger. Then I would submit. I mean, wives, God never put such a condition. He said, submit. Being in subjection in, is taught in passages like, now, you, you don't read the Bible in isolation in one verse and then you make a doctrine out of it. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, Titus 2, and First Peter 3, in all places, the wives are called to submit. And that submission, men, you can't demand it. God has commanded them. If they don't obey, let them answer to the Lord. You have no right to make them submit. So don't go home driving in your car. You heard what he said, right? 
But then you must be thinking that what about Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 which says now there is neither male nor female neither Jew nor Greek neither barbarian nor Scythian but all is all are one in Christ that talks about your about your inheritance in the Lord does not talk about the fiduciary position does not talk about the hierarchy. It, it's, please don't mix up these scriptures. What is said in Galatians is about you being one in Christ Jesus. You having the same inheritance. But what is mentioned here is about a functional relation. You need one head and you need one body. If you are the head, you boys. The girls are the body. They might say that we are the neck. We decide where you turn. But then, Ephesians also talks about mutual submission. Now what has this got to do with wife submitting to the husband? Mutual submission is what we said earlier, you consider the need of the other. Let's, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 7. 3 to 5. And obviously this section talks about marital rights. And I trust that everyone over here is 18 plus. If you're not 18 plus, you need to close the ears of your children. And if you want to avoid certain embarrassing questions in front of public. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 7 talks about the marital rights. And it says that this is how a husband and a wife needs to relate one to another in the context of marriage. Verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband, and watch this, verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does, and likewise the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of a lack of self-control. Obviously you understand what the context is and you don't want me to elaborate over there. But here it says that you boys, you are not in charge of your body. But who is? Your wife is. And now body, the Greek word body does not mean the flesh, it means the person. And the sisters over here, you're not in charge of your own body, but the husband is. Now you see the mutual submission that comes in in a family? And we're not even talking about a Christian marriage. It could even be a mixed marriage. So someone who wants to obey the Bible, even to the smallest jot or tittle, will look for this and say that it's it's not a negation of the wife's requirement to submit. Here it says that the husband should also offer himself to his wife. 
and the wife offers herself to the husband. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, mutually submit one to another. Now that does not mean that the husband treats the wife as the leader of the house, but that the husband becomes an accountability partner for best. That means that he begins to understand that his, his wife, while prone to wander, he has to hold her hand. And likewise, when he is prone to wander, the wife holds his hand. Therefore, he submits to, his, to her questions. So that's the mutual submission. And just before that, 5.18 of Ephesians says, In order to do this, you need to be filled with the Spirit. There's a progression. Before you even begin to submit, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Or else it will be too rough. You need the oil of the Holy Ghost to help you to submit. Otherwise, there's lots of friction. The word render in 1 Corinthians 7 means continually do it. And here it says it is the duty. It's a legal term once again that Paul is using. Duty, an obligation that you owe. 1 Corinthians 7 says that it's your obligation to give yourself to your wife. That's what mutual submission brings. But however, that does not contradict 1 Peter 3, where the women have to functionally treat him as the leader of the house and she submits. Does that mean that she does not even open her mouth for ideas? Absolutely not. Some of us men know that some of the better ideas of the house have come from the wife. We'd agree to that, even if we don't want to do it right now. But some of the better ideas, some of the... Now why is that? Because a wife can think multidimensional. She can do multitasking and we are good only at one task at a time. They can think about the mother-in-law and the child and the car and the finances and the... That's how God has made her. And therefore some of the decisions, some of the thoughts that she puts in, you must be thinking, why didn't I think of that? And that's the reason God gave you that wife. Because you just can't think of that. And you don't need two people who think like that. That'd be chaos at home. And we read this portion and towards the end it says that, let's read, let's go back to chapter 1 of, uh, chapter 3 of First Peter and it says that, that they may be one without a word. You know what this means? This means that your primary appeal is through the eye gate and not the ear gate. Your preaching is with action and not with words. Somebody has said that how you behave is so loud, I can't hear what you are saying. The women are to behave that their husband may be one without a word. A word, not the word, mind you. Does not say that the husband will come to the Lord without preaching at all. He needs the gospel. 
The Bible says, in, here in First Peter it says, chapter 1, verse, I think somewhere around 6 or 7, it says that you have been purchased with the imperishable word. So it is the word that saves, but it is that he is convicted without a word from the wife. William Barclay said that the silent testimony of a beautiful life. In his commentary, he mentioned this passage. He titled it, The Silent Testimony of a Beautiful Life. Now, having that foundation, we need to move on. We find that the godly wife says nothing to nag. I mean, I know the squeezes have gone up. The silent testimony. Don't nag your hubby. The book of Proverbs, Solomon, 3,000 years ago, listen to what he said. In Proverbs 21.9, it is better to live in the corner of a roof than with a contentious woman. In fact, he was saying it's better that I live on my roof in a, in a fridge carton than with this wife. Chapter 19 verse 13 says the contentions of a wife are like constant dripping. If you keep nagging, you will not drive him to Christ, you will drive him up a tree. And nobody has come to the Lord with a testimony. Brothers and sisters, my testimony is that I was nagged to death by my wife that I gave my life to Christ. I'm yet to hear that. And if he does, his his conversion will be short-lived. You wives will have to do that again. The beautiful life of Christ within you. That's the testimony. Your submission in spite of the boots on your back is your testimony. But I'm reminding you again that the context is of a mixed marriage. But then there are those who are being abusive even in our own midst. There could be those who are harassing the wife. The wife could be harassing the husband. Unheard of, but it's possible. I mean, last week we were watching in Discovery, the world's strongest woman. She could pull a double-ducker bus. And I was glad I'm not married to her. (laughs) Of course, she could help me with the groceries. But pulling a bus... You'd never want to have an argument with her. But she is called to submit. Even if the husband can't lift a feather, paralyzed neck down, this strong woman is called to submit and not to nag. Alright, now that being the foundation, now before that there's another story. I heard about a husband who nicknamed his wife Peg. And when he was asked, 
Why did you why do you call her Peg? That's not her name. He said Peg is short form for Pegasus, which is in Greek mythology is an immortal horse, and an immortal horse is a constant nag. I don't know what you've nicknamed your wife, but please, that's not how we portray Christ. It's through a beautiful life and a silent witness. Let's move on. Verse 2. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. You see, now comes the actual indicatives. The first imperative, which means the foundational you should do, is in be submissive. Now that is established. We've laid the foundation. We are now talking about certain attributes. And the first attribute is a chaste life. A chaste life. What do you mean by a chaste life? A pure life. Purity. Holiness. Free from blame. That's the kind of life that attracts the husband. That's the kind of life that qualifies you to be called the daughter of God. A chaste and a pure life. The primary meaning is one who is living a morally upright life. Imagine the situation when she comes to church and she finds all these uh, Bible-believing, deep men. And she has a husband at home who does not love the Lord. Who is far away. She is in her... In her fleshy weakness, she may be attracted to one of these males. Peter knows that. The Lord knows that. He says, no monkey business. Keep your garments pure. Be holy. Be holy. Don't ask for a divorce. And while you live there, make sure you're not having a fling going on with someone. Keep yourself chaste. And the perfect model, you see the first word that came over there was likewise. Likewise what? Like Jesus. Keep yourself as pure as he is pure. It's not only an internal condition, it's an external manifestation as well. You may be pure within, but how do you show that without? Live a holy life, you sisters. A holy life. There's nothing more destructive to a marriage than a third person. Two is company, three is a crowd in a marriage. Would you work and pray proactively to keep your marriage holy? Reactive prayers happen. After it has happened, we could pray. But would you pray proactively, Lord, keep me from falling? Two, be reverential. That's what verse two says. Be reverential. That means don't mock him. Don't make fun of him. You know, one of the ways in which you, uh, the sisters could make fun of him is that when he is sitting at home and she brings the pastoral team home, 
to preach to him. To give him the gospel with the largest hammer. And he does not know anything about the scripture. And these are talking. He feels insulted. The Bible says, reverence him. So what he feels abusive, reverence him. If he does that, he deals with God. Vengeance is mine, I shall repay. You have no authority to be abusive in return. Do not repay evil for evil, says Paul. But good. Be reverential. Phobos literally means fear. Means in fear. In fear of what? In fear of God. You're not afraid of that man. You're not afraid whether he will he will kill you to die is gain. But to live is Christ. In fear you reverence him. You respect him. The, hus- the husband is observant. He's observing you. He's watching you. He got his eyes upon you. Proverbs chapter 31, towards the end, I think it's verse 30, which says that beauty is fleeting, charm is deceitful, but a godly wife is of much worth. I don't know what you're relying on today, but it is godliness that is of much worth. Verse 3. Your adornment must not merely be external, the braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, putting on of dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in his sight. You see, this, this particular verse has been so much misunderstood. This verse does not mean don't comb your hair. It does not mean don't wear gold. Some of them have used this scripture. But you see a word that was interjected there. It says merely. Let it not be only the wearing of gold and the braiding of hair and the wearing of dresses. If wearing gold is disallowed in this verse, then wearing dress is also disallowed. And we wouldn't want that. Because God is a God who clothes. In Genesis, He clothed. But now the world wants to unclothe. Correct? They saw their nakedness and were ashamed and God clothed them. But now, they were ashamed that they are overly clothed, so they disrobed themselves. The point is, don't misunderstand the scripture. This scripture says three things. Don't let it be the outward atonement. Now, this is something for you guys. And girls, of course. The word adornment comes from cosmeo. And you know where that word leads to. Cosmetics. 
cosmio, watch this, comes from a word that means bringing order into chaos. Now you know what cosmetics does. Your outward atonement is of least consequence in the kingdom. I mean, there might be certain men that want their women to dress in a certain way. But you women, you have a brain of your own. And God has put His Spirit within you. And when you become a Christian, you are expected to obey the navigation of that Holy Spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit says that do not dress in such a way as would attract. John Stott said that there is a way to dress attractive and there is a way to, to dress seductive. And you know the difference and we men do as well. This is John Stott who died last year. There is a way to dress attractive and there is a way to dress seductive. You know it and so do we. If you're outward, you might have the best clothes and all your skin is covered but still you could be seductive. I trust this is 18 plus. Don't let it be just the outward, but. Why does the Holy Spirit not use such adornment for His purpose? Number one, it's the way of the world. The Holy Spirit can't use your dress to attract your husband to himself. Because one, he does not use the worldly ways. Number two, outward atonement is invariably linked to the lust of the eyes. Three, it destroys your personal testimony. And four, it is a demonstration of self than of Christ. Now you choose how you would want to dress yourself up. Would you want Jesus to open your wardrobe and select your dress for you? Would you take him with you when you go shopping? When you choose that particular dress that you want to buy? Would you ask him his approval? I see at least, now by way of passing, I see at least three comparisons in that two verses. Number one, it's an external against an internal. Did you see that? It's an external vis-a-vis -vis an internal. Two, it's imperishable as opposed to perishable. A good, meek 
gentle spirit is always in fashion. But your hairdo fashions will change. Your dress fashions will change. Your gold fashions will change. You see that? Imperishable vis-a-vis perishable. External vis-a-vis internal. And the third one, what is precious in God's sight against what is precious in man's sight. Did you see that in those two verses? That's the key in your modesty. So, be chaste, be reverential, be modest. Is there a biblical example? Of course, Peter says, look at the women of old. Not look at the old women. There's a difference. I'm still young. Go ahead. Follow the scripture. Look at the women of old. Now, Peter brings in an example. Don't you see that? He says, for in this way... Now, I didn't, I didn't expound on gentle and quiet spirit, but that is what it is. A gentle is meekness. It is the same word that is used to describe Jesus. That he was meek. Quiet spirit is exactly that. It is quiet spirit. Your spirit is quiet within you. You are not boisterous. By natural temperament you may be boisterous. Now I am not saying that you need to suppress that. What I am saying is that don't just be boisterous to show off. To, to attract him to Christ. It, it's not going to work. A gentle and a quiet spirit is what you require. And then is there a biblical example? Obviously, verse 5. For in this way, in the former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. And then, one particular example, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. So what's the example over here? The holy women? The holy women did this. Holy, hagios. They were holy. They were separated. The first time the word separated was used is in Genesis which says that and then there was a man who came from, so- from Sodom and Gomorrah and they ran up to Abraham the Hebrew. The word Hebrew means the separated one. You women, you need to be separated from the world. Why do you want to look like the world? When there is a better inheritance for you in the scripture. When something precious is is reserved for you. It says that look at the holy women. All scripture is God-breathed and is given for our own admonition. It's given to build us up. It is given to make us Christ-like. The holy women of old, they adorned themselves likewise with what? Gentle and a quiet spirit. And what else did they do? They submitted. A particular example, Sarah obeyed her husband. I have two more or attitudes over here. We talked about being chaste, being reverential, being modest. And I found two more over here, tucked away. Holy, obedient. 
Do you see that? It's there in that scripture. The holy women of old, Sarah obeyed her master, calling him Lord. Now that's biblical ladies. It was not that she ran with, behind him and saying, Lord, would you like the orange juice with your toast? Genesis 18.12 says that she under her breath, she called him Lord and said, would I have this pleasure and, and now since my Lord is old? Many a times what you say under breath about your husband is the true one. She under her breath called him Lord and obeyed him. By the way, that's biblical. To reverence your husband, to be holy, to be submissive. We need to move on. And finally it says, be righteous. Do what is right. Even as Sarah did what is right. The women of old did what is right. Do what is right. Now that's for the women. And since I have made enough enemies among the sisters, let me make enemies among the brothers. You husbands in the same way. Our sisters are smiling. Where's your wife, sir? You husbands in the same way. In what way? It is not referring to submission. It is referring to the example of Christ. You wives make Christ your example. You husbands make Christ your example. In the same way, Peter says, likewise, live with your wives with understanding. You see, the first thing that Peter says to a saved husband living with an unsaved wife is don't run away, live. The tendency is for him to dominate. He already has authority over the house. His wife is now an unbeliever. He is a believer. Now he says, let me just leave this woman. Let me, I'm going to find me a good girl. A nice Christian worship leader. He says, no, dwell with your wives with understanding. Now I need to explain that a little bit. With understanding in most of the scriptures means dwell in knowledge. You boys begin to dwell with your wives in knowledge. In knowledge of what? In knowledge of the holy scriptures. In knowledge of two things. Number one, the holy scriptures. You can't begin to love your wife if you don't know the scriptures. Begin to dwell with your wife in understanding of the scriptures and number two, in understanding of who she is. I mean, your wife might need you at home and you are going out fishing. Think about it. 
I work eight hours. She stays at home. She stays at home doing what? Cook the food, wash the dishes, clean the clothes, take care of the child, sweep the house, fold the clothes, keep the vessels back, and you're saying she's not working? In fact, she does this without a salary. And you drag yourself into the house and you search for your favorite couch. Sit over there, grab the remote and you are half watching BBC, half reading your book and you shout out a command and you say, where's my coffee? I mean, you better be hallelujahing because you will face the master one day. And the one you married is the bride of Christ and how dare you treat her indifferently. So you better be praising God. Dwell with your wives with knowledge as with a weaker vessel. Now, weaker is not the opposite of strong. Weaker is the superlative of weak. Therefore, all you men who think that I am the strong one, she is the weak one. No, you are the weak one, she is the weaker one. Weak in what? Weak in your sinfulness. Do you know that you married a sinner? Do you know she can fall? Do you know she needs grace? Do you know that she needs your prayer? If you are weak, if you can stumble, she can stumble even more. She is the weaker. Weaker in what? Not in morality. Not in abilities. Not in strength. Not in capacities. Not in a work environment. She is weaker in what? Probably she is weaker only in, in carrying bricks up the ladder. You might be able to carry 20, she carries 12. That's all. In everything else, she is co-equal. Even as Jesus and God were co-equal, yet He submitted Himself. Dwell with your wives with knowledge. Think about her before you make your plans. Please, think about her. Have you asked her, how was your day? Have you called her up from work? Dwell with your wives in knowledge. Catagnosis. With knowledge. As unto a weaker vessel. And then it says, honor your wives. Five more minutes. I need to get this across. Honor your wives. The word honor is precious. She is precious. That's the bottom line. Peter is saying such a beautiful things to us boys. Saying that the girl you married is precious. I mean, when we were courting our wife, she was precious. But now she is an old haggard. I agree, she's got crow's feet around her eyes. And she doesn't look all that beautiful. 
But then she is precious. It's the same word used to describe Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 7. It says that because he is precious. It's the same word. Dwell with your wife because she is precious. And finally, what is the outcome of these two injunctions unhindered prayer? Now that does not mean that God will not hear your prayer. That means that you will not even be able to pray. That's what unhindered prayers means. It does not mean that you're praying, God does not answer. No, you are a Christian, you're a child of God, you're praying, your father answers. But you will not get to the place of prayer because you're constantly fighting. You have not dwelt with your wife with understanding. You have not treated her as precious. And now you want to have a quiet time. Your heart within you, the Holy Spirit within you is warring with your own spirit and saying, You treated her horribly. You are not even able to have a devotion. That's what Peter says. That you need to come and you need to dwell with understanding. So that... You begin to treat her and then have a good quiet time. And what is frankly your prayer? Your prayer is God save my wife. In this context we are assuming that the wife is unsaved. Save my wife. That even will not be answered because you are not able to pray. You have not treated her holy. You have not treated her precious. She is no longer a ruby. She is a rag. But the Bible says, Proverbs 31, verse 10, it says that, Who can find a virtuous wife? She is more worth than rubies. In conclusion, how should you behave in such environments? Number one, please build on the principle of the Bible. The message of Christ is powerful and it's liberating. The message of Christ, now hear me just for a minute. The message of Christ is powerful and liberating. Would you speak it through a beautiful life? Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you for such straightforward and soul-searching truths. Lord, we understand that there are even some gathered here in our midst this afternoon who are in the situation outlined over here, living in mixed marriages. So, Father, as much as we pray for the salvation of the partners, we pray that these virtues, the silent witness of a beautiful life, may be evident in our marriages. Bless those wives who have unsaved husbands. Give them the grace to live with them. Bless those husbands that have unsaved wives and give them the grace that is required and make them the husbands that they ought to be. Help them to live with their partner with understanding that our prayers will not be hindered and the salvation of our mate may be evident. Lord, bring our own marriages which are not unequally yoked, but which are being built up. We have married Christians and we are blessed with that. Help us to live godly.
to hold holy Christ-like lives, that our children who are yet unsaved, our relatives who are yet unsaved, our neighbors and our friends may see Christ in us and hope in the beauty of Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a good afternoon. Shall we just stand as we conclude this service? Let's just take a minute to think and to appreciate what God has spoken to us. How many of you have heard the word of God? How many of you have heard the voice of God? It might have poked you, it might have pricked you, but that's what it's meant to do. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you haven't been moved today, nothing will move you. If you think that this message that came from here is for your spouse first, think again. This message is for you and me first. We need to take it. This is God speaking to me and then to my spouse. Who needs change first? Me, not my wife, not my husband. I need to change first. You and I need to talk to God. You and I need to talk to God right now. And we need to say, God, you have spoken. You have told us how we need to live. It is you who has given us the spouse that you have placed with me. Not for me to change her. Not for her to change me. But for me to learn to appreciate the person you have placed beside me. Not for me to lord over. Not for me to be lorded under. But to live as a godly family, as a testimony in this world, to this world which has lost all values, to this world which has turned everything upside down. You as a person, I as a person, we as families, we need to stand separate. You and I are called to be peculiar people. Now the question is, do you listen to the word or do you listen to the world? Do you want to be a peculiar people or do you just want to be a common person, a common family out there in the world? Speak to the Lord. Father God, we want to say thank you, Lord, because you have reminded us once again, Lord Father, of our roles in marriage of the families that you want to create, that you have set upon this earth, Lord Father. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that even as we step out in just a minute's time, Lord, we will not forget. And we will not point fingers at somebody else. We will not point fingers at our spouse and say, did you hear what the man of God said? But we will go and tell our spouse, I heard what the man of God said. He spoke to me. Father God, we thank you, Lord, 
for your, for your child whom you have used this day, Lord Father. We thank you, Lord Father, for your powerful word that you have sent across to us through his mouth, Lord Father. And we pray, Lord, that you will continue to anoint him, bless him and his family, Lord. That you will continue to teach us through him, Lord, days to come, greater truths that you want us to know, Lord. We pray, Lord, that even as we have received your word, we will not put it into some dark recess of our mind and forget about it, Lord Father. But Father God, from this very moment, that which you have put in us will work. Your voice we shall not forget. We shall activate it in our life. I thank you. I praise you, God. We give all glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's share the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. I would encourage every one of you, in a month's time, listen to this message again, either through our website or get a CD. We tend to forget things very fast. But we shouldn't be forgetting it. God bless you as you step out and fellowship.